As I've been reading and studying the letters of Peter for this uh, series on encouragement, I've been struck by how the Christians that Peter's writing to uh, must have felt. His language to describe them uh, creates within me a wellspring of feelings and pathos regarding the condition they're going through. Having been forced to move out of their homelands because of being both a Christian by choice and Jewish by ethnicity, Roman government forcing them out, they're now scattered into a foreign country, which we now call uh, modern-day Turkey. And once there, they had very little freedom, if any. Uh, They were not citizens, nor were they illegal immigrants, but they were called by Peter strangers and exiles. And once arriving there, they all... um, viewed themselves as being looked upon by their neighbors as being strange. They saw, their neighbors saw them as being peculiar because of their faith in a Savior that had been crucified, that had died, that had been buried, that had been raised from the dead on the third day, that ascended into heaven and returning. And their beliefs in that led to an incredible degrees of suffering As we found out from these letters so far, they were ridiculed and mocked. They were insulted and discriminated against and persecuted. Persecuted in many different type forms. And no doubt that they, as you're reading these letters, as I'm struck by this, they began to feel like that flame of freedom that's within every human spirit uh, was being extinguished within them. Peter, in the last year of his life, prior to Nero executing him, simply because he was a Christian, takes the time in his persecution and in his suffering to write these two letters to this group of sufferers for the express purpose, as we see here on the slide, of encouraging them because they are discouraged. And what he does is he reminds them of what is truth. The grace of God is what is true. Don't give in to the discouragement, but be encouraged. Stand fast. Be encouraged. God's not forgotten about you. God is faithful, and he leads his children into what is true freedom. It's hard to believe that in a few weeks, a few short weeks, we are 14 years removed from September 11th. 14 years. When radical terrorists attacked our country, killed thousands of people. And although there have been specifically several known attacks upon our country since then, none has equated to the severity of that day, September 11th, 2001. What we experienced in the aftermath of that attack were a series of laws, orders, and executive decisions that have eroded our personal freedoms. Surveillance cameras, collection of data and records from our phones and from the internet, stored up in warehouses throughout this country, massive ones by the government who assures us they're not going to ever use them for anything other than just storage. TSA searches at the airports. And by the way, I went to a Cincinnati Red ball game two weeks ago. They searched me more at that ball game than they did through the airport <laughs> to get into a ball game. Major events have become the norm for us. We're used to it, aren't we? Our definition of what it means to be free in this country 
and Fourth Amendment rights protected by the U.S. Constitution have certainly been changed over the past 15 years. So the question keeps recurring. Are we better off? Are these restrictions, these removal of personal freedoms, are they making us safer? Or are they being used as the gov- by the government to encroach upon our freedoms to gradually gain greater control over us as citizens? I, I will leave that debate to you. But I think it's a question that every one of us needs to really think deeply about. Because usually once a government takes something away, it seldom ever gives it back. Now, before you think I went adrift in this sermon, and I'm trying to get on the next debate with Donald Trump. (laughs) No, thank you. All right. Let me steer us back to our topic today. And we've really been on topic. Speaking to those discouraged Christians who feel like they are not free, Peter writes the following words in the second chapter that not only help them, but are a tremendous benefit for us today when we think about what does it mean to be free? Uh, he writes in First Peter two sixteen and following, live as what? Free people. Do not use your freedom as a cover up. For evil, live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of God. Honor the emperor. In these two short, crisp, precise sentences, Peter clearly defines what freedom is and how it is to be used. Now, I know you're reading this, and in our 21st century brain, we're thinking there's some contradictions in these verses, right? Live as free people, but be a slave to God. Live as free people, but you cannot do anything you want. You cannot use that freedom for evil. Live as free people, but you must submit or respect others, love Christians, and honor the emperor. Sounds contradictory, doesn't it? For our way of thinking, that doesn't sound very freeing at all, does it? In fact, it sounds like there are a lot more restrictions there than there are freedoms in this verse. And if there are restrictions, I cannot totally be free. Well, I want to get that thought out early because I know some of you are thinking about that. And as the lesson progresses, hopefully you'll see how that will be developed and we'll have a better idea of what true freedom really is. Because if you've not already guessed it, I will tell you, I think that most of us have the wrong definition of freedom. We really don't know what freedom is, and we'll develop that as we go. A few questions I want to ask today in this lesson. First of all, I want us to notice how freedom is a major theme in the New Testament. How is freedom a major theme in the New Testament? Well, Peter tells us to live as free people, and the way we live as free people is to be a slave to God. Paul connects freedom with this word called transformation. It's found in 2 Corinthians 3.18. Wherever the Lord is, there is freedom. There's the opportunity for freedom. That's what it's saying. There's an ugliness that happens to your soul and mind when we conform to this world and we're not transformed by Christ. When our values, our morals, our ethics are conformed and squeezed into the mold of this world, uh, Paul says we're being controlled by the God of this age the evil one. The result is ugly and sinful. It's enslavement to sin. 
However, when we surrender ourselves to the will of God and allow Him to transform us more and more into the image of Christ, to make us into the godly people, we begin to reflect the glory of God. And the glory of God is always described as incredible beauty. Freedom in God by being transformed in Christ is the beauty, the majesty of God that's being reflected in us on a day-to-day basis. Now, Paul says the reason why we have freedom, this transforming power, is because we've been set free. Paul writes about this extensively in the book of Galatians, where a group of Christians are trying to legalize Christianity, make it a set of rules instead of a love relationship. And they're abusing the grace of God. And so Paul writes extensively about freedom in Galatians 5, and we benefit from that today. In Galatians 5, he says, it's for freedom's sake that Christ has set us free. Early in the third chapter, he says, we're all prisoners. We've been taken captive. We are prisoners of sin. Prisoners need to be set free. Christians are set free because Jesus Christ has set us free. That's his point. Stay on this slide because I don't have the next one, but... It's just stay in this point for a moment about being set free. The captives free. Do you remember when Jesus, after he was baptized, he goes into the, the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. Spirit falls upon him. And then he returns to his hometown, Nazareth. He walks into the synagogue, gets behind the podium, opens up the Bible to Isaiah chapter 61, and reads where God has anointed the Messiah This Messiah will proclaim the good news and set the captives free. After Jesus had read that, he says, This scripture has now been fulfilled in the presence of you and sat down. 700 plus years before Christ was ever on this earth, Isaiah had written about God's Messiah coming to set the captives free. And Jesus says, I am that one. Now, the messianic hope uh, for the Jews was the idea that Messiah would come as a political figure and he would set free those political captives that had been taken captive by the other nations. Uh, With the Messiah's arrival, political uh, prisoners would be set free. Uh, So their concept about freedom in the Messiah or the Christ was very limited politically and in the national agenda. Jesus, though, says, no, let's make this clear. He made it clear throughout all of his ministry, I'm anointed as the Messiah. I am the Messiah. I have come to set the captives free, but my setting free has to do with sin. I'm going to set free, rescue those who are burdened down by the enslavement of sin. I'm going to set them free. And that's what Paul means here in Galatians. For freedom, see, Christ has set us free. Don't lose that freedom. Lift yourself. You've been lifted out of that burden, that yoke of slavery. Don't go back in that slavery. Enjoy your freedom by following the Lord. Christ has set you free. So freedom is transforming and being set free by Jesus Christ. But another concept of freedom in the New Testament is that freedom always, always involves serving somebody else. There's another contradiction, isn't it? Everybody serves someone. Again, that sounds strange to us because freedom for most sounds means not having to serve anybody. Bob Dylan in the late 1970s, this great theologian, was actually converted in the late 70s to Christianity. Um, Maybe you have this on your uh, uh, music or uh, he doesn't sing, he mumbles. But anyway, (laughs) your mumble iTunes, (laughs) 
But one of my favorite albums he ever put out, and I date myself by saying album, but it was an album back then, 1970, was Dylan's uh, gospel album. And on that album, he had a song, You Got to Serve Somebody. I remember hearing it and just thinking, that's the best song I've ever heard in a long time. And uh, the refrain I put up there for you, but all along the line, without singing the song to or mumbling it to you, just some of the highlights. You can be a construction working, working on a house. You can live in a mansion or in a dome. You can be a socialite with pearls. Uh, you can be a doctor. You can be a chief. You can be a TV executive. You can be a preacher. You can be a politician. You can be rich, lame, poor, blind. Uh, your name could be Jimmy. Your name could be Zimmy. Your name could be Tim. Your name could be Bobby. You could be Ray. But you got to serve someone. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Now, in that song, Dylan's a pretty good theologian, isn't he? He understands, after his conversion to Christ, that freedom comes in God. Everybody serves somebody. He's certainly right on target with the New Testament concept about freedom. It's about serving others. Well, we can be inspired by artists like Dylan, but more importantly, our faith does not rest upon a song. It, it leans upon the cross, doesn't it? The cross where we received our freedom. And long before there was a Dylan, there was Jesus who says, look, everybody serves somebody. That's freedom. In Mark 10, it records a time when his disciples were gathered. And two of the 12 are trying to talk about a time in the future when Jesus has his kingdom. And they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. These two have determined that they're going to rule the other ten. And the other ten hear about it, and they are indignant, aren't they? And they're arguing about themselves. They're jockeying for power and rulership in this new kingdom. And Jesus gives great insight into our world, doesn't he? He says, I want to tell you something. Most people in this world are going to spend all their life trying to gain more and more authority for the purpose of accumulating for themselves greater freedom. And they're going to use that authority to take away the freedoms of others to control them so that they can lord it over them and consider themselves to be great. Jesus says it does not work. It does not work. There is no true freedom found in this approach. And Jesus says, not only does it not work in the world, it must not happen in my kingdom. For the ones who truly want to be great and greatness linked with freedom are the ones who learn how to serve others. It's not selfishness, but serving. And says, Jesus then says, take a look at my life. I mean, I had everything, didn't I? And yet I came into this world and could have been served by every one of you, but I chose in my freedom to do what? To serve others. And knowing what we know about Jesus, we know more about him than what the disciples did at that point in time in their life. We know that Jesus was the freest man who ever walked on this planet. Amen? Servant of all. So that's the major theme throughout the New Testament. Second question is, how does freedom defined by most contrast with freedom in God? Uh, let me ask you a question and you answer this to yourself. What is keeping you from being totally free? I could be free if what? 
What would total freedom look like for you? What is it that's preventing you from being totally free? What is hindering you from being free? Uh, I would totally be free if I would. What is it? Do you see how we define freedom? As most do. We have to get rid of what hinders us, what restrains us, what prevents us, what is stopping us from doing what we want to do. You see, the reason why I'm not free is because I'm hindered by not having enough money. I'm prevented because of the relationship I'm in. I, 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 um, I'm restricted by my worries about the future. Uh, I'm, I am hindered by other opportunities that are there, whatever it is, etc. I'm not free because I'm under restraint. Uh, Jean Rousseau in the 1700s. A thinker, you're saying, why in the world? 1700s, what does that have to do with us today? Uh, He was the one who basically created the idea that a human spirit cannot be free unless it can do exactly what it wants to do without restrictions. So in the 1770s, in a response to the age of enlightenment and intellectualism, he says, no, the true human spirit has to be free. It cannot be free in civilization because there's so many rules, so many regulations. You cannot do what you want to do, and therefore you cannot be free. And so what he said was the only way you can be free is to go back into civilization before it was a major civilization, back to primitive civilizations, and there you could discover freedom. And he then referred to the Native American cultures in America during that time. He said if you just go and live with them, you'll discover what true freedom really is, the human spirit. Well, some people took him up on that, although he had never been to America and had never seen a Native American. Many of them left Europe, went over into the United States, went out into the wilderness to live among the Indians to find their true human spirit. What they discovered was most of them died of exposure. Many of them were tortured and terrified, traumatized by the Indians they tried to join, and most of them got killed by those Native Americans with their human spirit of freedom. However, that did not stop people believing this in the 1960s, very much persuaded by this modern thinker of the 1770s. This call for revolution 1960s that we have to have freedom is by unleashing all the restrictions of civilization upon us. So in the past 50 years in our country, freedom has come to mean I will do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. That's true freedom. You live your life, I'll live my life. We'll be taught of one another as long as we're not judging each other or restricting one another, as long as we're not hurting one another, we can live in peace, the true human spirit. Now, that's the way freedom is defined by most people today. If I was free, I would usually have to get rid of some controlling agent over me, whatever it might be. With me? Go to 1 Peter 2, 16 through 17. Live as free people. How? By being a slave to God. That's freedom. Don't use freedom to engage in evil behavior. It's freedom. Use your freedom to show respect to others, love others, and honor the emperor. That is freedom. Freedom is not getting rid of restrictions or restraints. If there are no restrictions or restraints, you have anarchy, not freedom. Freedom is choosing the right kind of boundaries. It's choosing the right kind of restraints. The restraints and the restrictions that will bring the greatest quality of freedom and life to my life. Being a servant of God, you see it very clearly, has boundaries. 
and limits, but it's the best possible way to live because that is when we're truly free, when we are slaves to God. You know the story of Adam and Eve, don't you? The story of the first account of man and woman is recorded in Genesis. That first man and woman were duped by the devil, weren't they? The story describes God providing for the first man and woman a vast territory. You can't even estimate the number of square miles in the Garden of Eden. It wasn't a little small garden. Huge, vast territory, total freedom, harmony with God and each other. And God said, there's just a couple of restrictions I have in mind. Remember that? Particularly one tree. So the devil comes along and convinces Adam and Eve that God is limiting their freedom. The reason God does not want them to eat the fruit of the one tree is because he wants to limit their knowledge. He's restricting your freedom. Adam and Eve believed the lie of the devil, ate of the tree, did not gain true freedom like they thought, but rather became enslaved to the process of sin that continues to this day. They lost their freedom. And found themselves spiraling downward like we do today into a process of trying to rediscover freedom apart from God. Enslaved to sin. You see, true freedom is found in having the right boundaries. Get those settled in your mind. What are God's boundaries? They're the right boundaries. It begins with accepting God's way as our way. And like Adam and Eve prior to the fall, believing that the restrictions and boundaries that God puts in place are actually helping us to have true freedom not depriving us of freedom. The problem, here's the problem, is we associate freedom with selfishness and indulgence. The Bible says freedom is in serving. We say, no, it's in self. I will do what I want to do when I want to do it. You do your thing, I'll do my thing. Just stay out of each other's way. Freedom is what, what I want. It is selfishness. And I believe that most of us know that selfishness always leads to overindulgence. The root of all overindulgence is selfishness. Now, overindulgence can be in good things as well, can it? Freedom is not selfishness or overindulgence, no. Freedom is bringing our desires under control of the boundaries that God has given to us, not releasing ourselves to do whatever we want to do. 1 Peter 4, 2, don't live the rest of your earthly lives for human, for evil human desires but rather for the will of God. See that word evil there at the end? Interesting word there for evil. Uh, We think of lust, think of evil, but really the word means over or out of control human desires. Uh, Don't live your whole life out of control of your human desires. Some of those can be good desires. What does he mean by being out of control? Let me give you an example. Uh, You can live a healthy life. You have your Fitbit, you have your health tracking, you have your thing that counts your steps, you count your heart rate, you wear your Apple watch, you, you put all those things together and you're doing that to track your health, which is a good thing. Overindulgence is when it turns you into a hypochondriac. That's a sickness, isn't it? Hypochondriac thinks that they're being healthy when they're really sick over indulgence. You can enjoy your work, your career, Drive yourself, push yourself, be ambitious, Uh, rise to the top, do the things you want to do, enjoy what you're doing, and then you get out of control and you become a workaholic. That's a sickness that destroys your family, your health, everything, and everyone around you. Workaholic is a sickness. It's an evil human desire out of control. It's not freedom, it's slavery. 
uh, you can hopelessly fall head over heels about somebody you met on Harmony.com or whatever you met them, okay, or church or whatever. But they're not into you. But you're into them. And you just believe you send them one more note, one more text, you know, one more date. You can convince them, right? But they're not into you. But you're so out of control about it that you become a stalker, right? And she's getting a restraining order against you, no trespass. She's going to throw you in jail if you keep doing those stuff, right? So the good feelings of health and work and romance are good until you overindulge in them and you become enslaved them. There are things it tells us to do in moderation, but if we overindulge in them, they become our addictions. Are you with me? So this idea of freedom is I can do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. It's just not true. It leads to selfishness, which leads to indulgence, which leads to uh, selfishness. What I understand is that there is a control here. It's what Christ has done for me. And I'm going to obey God, what God says about life and what we can or cannot do in the measure to which I can do these things because I trust in God. I love God. He is my boundary. He is where I find true freedom. Freedom. Some people, most people in this world define freedom as security. I want to be safe. I want to be secure. So therefore, I'm going to invest and have enough money so I never run out of money. Or I'm going to work and push myself hard. Or I'm going to keep myself fit so that I can be safe and secure into the future. I want all those things not because I'm selfish or greedy, but I want to take care of my family. I want to take care of myself. I want to be safe. I want to be free. I want to be free from the fear of worry. About the cares of this world. That's why I work so hard. That's why I push myself the way I do. That's why I take care of myself the way I do. Because I hope that in the long run it will pay off. And I will be secure by my investments down the road. And I can live a long, healthy, prosperous, productive life. It's interesting that in one parable that Jesus gives. He mentions three ways in which we can fall away from God. And one of the ways that he says is by being absorbed or consumed by the cares of this world. He says, if our focus in life is about the cares of this world, it's like a thorn that wraps itself around a fruitful plant and eventually chokes that plant to death. If I am over consumed by a fear of dying, a fear of running out of money, a fear of my job, a fear of anything. I begin to serve that fear. It becomes my supreme being. It robs me of my freedom. It's what I begin to serve. That's why Peter writes that freedom is not found in creating our own security or safety. As important as it is to take care of ourselves and, and to take care of our family. Look, where do you cast all your anxieties? Who do you cast them upon? Well, First Peter 5, 7 says this. You cast it on him because he cares for you. So freedom defined by most is getting rid of all of our uh, restrictions, which is rooted in selfishness or fears about security, does not work. Does not work. You cannot say that freedom is doing what I want to do when I want to do it and expect to be free. You will not. You'll end up enslaved to the very things you're pursuing. Freedom in God, however, (laughs) provides the right kind of boundaries. Which leads to a quality, fruitful life of having our desires under his control and our cares and our anxieties under his care. So how do I grow in this freedom? How do I grow in this freedom? Well, first of all, it's through love. 
Love, Jesus says. If you love me, you'll do what? You're going to keep my commands. Love is the greatest example of what it means to be free. When you are truly in love and not a stalker, (laughs) when you're truly in love, it's the most freeing feeling in the world, isn't it? Love conquers all. However, the more you love a person, the more you're willing to give up things about your life to them, aren't you? You surrender yourself to them. You'll do anything for them. You desire to learn everything you can about them, what their interests are, what makes them happy, what they like and what they don't like. And in love for them, you're willing to give up just about many, many things in your life for them because you love them and you want that love to flourish and grow and strengthen and never end. That is true love. It's true freedom. True love is freeing with many, many restrictions. But we don't see them as restrictions because of the joy of the love that we have in our life. Amen? Jesus says, if you're ever going to understand what it means to be a follower of mine, you need to understand this verse. You need to approach me with the eyes of love. Some approach Christianity through a list of rules and regulations. You can go to many congregations where all they do is preach to you a list of do's and don'ts. Do this. Don't do that. You're going to make your way to heaven. Jesus says, no. No. Since love is the greatest thing to do. If you truly love me, you'll keep my commandments. Too often we teach new converts the rules of Christianity before we teach them how to love Jesus. Teach them how to fall in love with Jesus. They'll obey the commandments. You get that thing reversed, they may never love Jesus. They may just follow a set of rules in a book. And never experience this joy and this freedom. If a person loves Christ, they'll obey his commands because they will then know those boundaries are good to obey because it keeps the love strong. We grow in freedom because of love. And we obey those commandments because they are truth. In John 8, Jesus says, truth sets you free. Well, what does he mean by truth? He means that we discover through Jesus what the right boundaries are and the restrictions in order to bring a life of true freedom. But what we tend to do instead of seeking truth is that we adapt to our environment. Here's the next picture. It's a picture of Wycliffe, Kentucky. Uh, Wycliffe, Kentucky is 26 miles away from Paducah, Kentucky. Sharon and, um, in the, and myself, our children at the time, mid-1980s, lived in Paducah, Kentucky. Uh, Wycliffe, Kentucky was 26 miles away. Wycliffe, Kentucky has a large paper mill city. So every once in a while, when we first moved there, you could smell the whiff of the paper mill. Some days it was stronger than others. The stench was almost unbearable. That first time we lived there, there were many days I just felt like throwing up because it just smelled so awful. 26 miles away. So not too surprisingly, with all my charm and um, really being courteous, when people from Wycliffe, Kentucky would come to worship at Broadway Church, Curseway Preach, they'd go, how can you stand to live in that place? That place stinks. It smells invariably, virtually every person said, we just don't notice it anymore. We just don't notice it anymore. And it was interesting to me, the longer we lived in Paducah, we lived there for four years, the stench didn't bother me nearly as much either. You know, humans are resilient in adapting, aren't we? We can adapt to annoying loud sounds, to unsightly things that bother us, no longer see them. And to smells that used to make us sick, we adapt. 
Go back to John chapter 8. Instead of letting the truth set us free, we adapt to the sinfulness and the ways of this world. There used to be certain things we would not say. We would not do. We would not see. We would not compromise on because we loved God. Now, we shrug at them. Don't pay any attention to them. Why, we hardly ever notice them at all. We've allowed what the world calls freedom, which is nothing more than rejection of God's authority. That's rooted in our selfishness and indulgence and uncontrolled desires to enter into our life through technology and media and education and social mores and government intrusions. And that is not freedom. It is enslavement to sin. It's not freeing. We have adapted to the stench, the sounds, the smells, the sights of evil. And in our life, we're becoming like Wycliffe, Kentucky. And I've pardoned all those who've ever lived or ever been through Wycliffe, Kentucky. <laughs> it's just the way it is, all right? We've adapted to the ways of this world so much thinking that freedom is found in that, but it's enslavement. You cannot serve the, you can serve the devil or you can serve the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. We grow in freedom through loving his true commandments because they're true. We don't adapt to this world, which means we have to have a high regard for the word of God. Psalm 119 has 176 verses. Go ahead and turn your Bibles there. Psalm 176. I couldn't put them all on the board, but I think it'd be productive for us to read all 176 verses. They're all about the word of God. Psalm 119. Sorry. There's 176 verses. No, I'm not going to read all the verses. You know how long that would take. (laughs) So let me give you the highlight reels. You need to read Psalm 119 on your own many, many times. Uh, I have a high regard for the word from Psalm 119. It says, I want to live and walk by the word of God. I want to hide my heart in the word. I want to follow the word. I want to obey the word. I want to keep the word. I want to meditate in the word. I want to memorize the word. I want to learn about the word. I want to rejoice in the word and hope in the word and trust in the Lord and trust in the word and speak the word and open my eyes to the word and set my heart on the word on the word and be strengthened in the word because that word is precious. It's eternal. It's valuable. It's a lamp and light for my feet and my path. That word will set my heart free As a result of that word, I will love greatly. I will hate evil. I will avoid wrong. I will know what is the wicked path. My heart has been set free by the truth of God's word. See, aren't you glad I gave you that rendition instead of reading all 170 verses? See, I grow in my freedom through love, truth, and the word of God. But I also have to have mentors. It's good to have friends who will go with you on this walk of life. But if you're the same age, they cannot mentor you the way you need to be mentored. You're in the same life experience, the same. You need older people that have more experience on this road of life to mentor you. It's good to have friends, but make sure you have mentors who are older. Uh, This next slide is a picture of a beautiful hiking trail that's very treacherous. Say a group of you decide to get together to hike this trail, and you decide not to have an experienced guy. That would be a very dangerous adventure. If you want to get the most out of that walk, that trail, to know what lies ahead, you need to hire an experienced guide who knows where the dangers are, where to walk the path. Point out some of the beautiful things along the way. They are mentoring you along the way so you can enjoy that walk more. And that's what Peter encourages us to do, to grow in our freedom in 1 Peter 5, 5. You see this? Younger, get rid of your pride and find some mentors. Older people, Wiser in the faith, you become mentors. There are many young adults and teens in this 
congregation who needs you to be a mentor. Don't be filled with pride. Have plenty of friends, but make sure you know how you grow in your love for God, the truth of his word, by watching and following and getting the experience of those who've gone on before you. One final question, we'll close. How is freedom offered and described on the cross of Christ? Well, freedom is offered by Christ. We've already seen that. He is the one who truly sets us free because, notice in Colossians, he has authority in everything. Colossians 1.18, he's the head of the body. He's the beginning of everything. Uh, in him, he has authority and supremacy. In him, he has authority over everything. Everything is under his control. Everything. That means everything in my life needs to come under his control to have true freedom. So if I believe that, I cannot say to him, Jesus, who is supreme over everything. I cannot say to him, Jesus, I will give you authority over everything except this one thing. I'm not ready to relinquish this one thing to you just yet, but I'll give you authority over the rest of my life. You cannot say that to him because when you do, when you do, what you're saying is that that one thing has more power, more authority than Jesus does in your life right now. What you're admitting to is that you believe that freedom is found in that one thing you will not give over to Jesus. That It's more freeing to you than what Jesus will be if he exerts his power in that to change us. So therefore, I'm not going to let it go. Or you're saying, I'm so enslaved to this, I can never, ever see myself ever getting out of this. And then you're saying you don't believe that Jesus has the power to overcome the thing that's in your life. And what Jesus is offering to us on the cross is, is in everything, his authority. And with that is freedom. Are you willing to trust and obey and believe in that freedom? Whatever it is, to have freedom over whatever's controlling you and no longer be enslaved to it. Are you willing to trust Jesus for that in your life? We've been set free by the Christ who's over everything by his reconciling power. Look in these next verses. He's the head, the body. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn, but he's dead on the cross. The one who has supremacy over everything, God reconciled himself to himself, set us free by putting his son Jesus on the cross, supreme over everything, to die for our freedom. He paid the price for our freedom. In order for us to have true freedom, Christ had to give up all of his freedom on the cross in order to trust God to become our substitute so that we could have freedom from our sins. What a beautiful, beautiful concept. He paid that ultimate price. He set us free. He reconciled us back to God. And what an attitude he had there to emulate. First Peter says, we are to approach, if you notice in First Peter 4.1, that attitude, we're to approach in regard to setting ourselves free from sin with the same attitude that Jesus had about the cross. In other words, Jesus trusted in God so much and obeyed God so much. He believed in God so much and the promise that they had made to one another prior to creation about the cross, that he willingly gave himself up for the cross. That he believed that the joy of salvation that would produce freedom is far, far greater than the pain and the suffering on the cross for the sins of humanity. And that's why it says in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, for the joy of the cross set before him. He endured the cross, scorned its shame. He made light of it. He said, 
This shame of the cross, this humiliation, this suffering, nothing compared to the joy. He endured the cross. Result, he sat down at the right hand of God, free again and freedom for us. That's why the Hebrew writer says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so Peter says to these suffering first century Christians, you're free in God. You have a freedom that the world longs to have. Don't get discouraged. Don't lose your hope. Don't get disappointed. Do not adapt to the stench, the smell, the sounds of this world. Be transformed. Still holds true for us today. So what about you? Do you hear clearly that call of freedom that God is offering you? Can you still hear it? Are you willing to do what Peter says to live as free people because you're slaves to God? And because you're slaves to God, you're now free to serve others by showing respect, love, and honoring others. It's a call to freedom. The experience of true joy, it's not easy. Truth and freedom seldom are. There's a price to be paid. Look in Mark 10. We'll close here. Jesus says it's not easy. He's talking about following him. He says, if you follow me, it may affect relationships. You may lose some relationships in this world because of me. You're probably going to lose some other things because you follow after me. And when you lose those things and those people, you're not going to feel like it's going to feel very freeing. But if you love me, if you love me, you will commit to me. You will surrender to me. You'll sacrifice anyone or anything for me. Because you know true freedom is found in So if you experience these things in the freedom that I'm offering you, you will be persecuted. But that persecution is just in this age, people trying to take away your freedom in Christ. They long for what you have. They don't understand what you have in God, but you do. Hold on to it. Listen to that call to freedom because this is the present age. In the eternal age, I am going to reward you not only in the eternal age, but in the present age. Far more than you could ever hope or imagine. You may lose certain things, but what you gain in this freedom is far more than you can ever imagine. Do you hear that call to freedom? Do you hear it? If you're willing to put your faith in Christ, surrender your life to him, pour out your life to him in baptism, to become a follower of his today, you can do that today. In just a moment, we'll sing a song, make your way to the front. We'd love to baptize you, or you can do it after the service today. Either way, love to do that. If you're already a Christian and today this sermon's kind of hit you, you realize, you know, I've been adapting more than I've been seeking truth. I begin to feel like that maybe in my life, as days go on, I am losing more and more of my freedoms found in God. I'm adapting instead of living by the truth. The great news is if you're a Christian, you can repent, pray to God, ask for his forgiveness, and God can help you grow. He'll help you grow in his love for him. Get you back into his word of truth so that you can understand what the truth can do for you. And it'll help you find some really good, strong Christian mentors who can lead you down the path of experience of what it means to live a life of freedom. You've got to serve somebody. Choose this day whom you're going to serve. Let's stand and sing. My heart.